I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. G'day, guys. And we're very lucky to have with us today Dr. Phil Roatman. Phil Roatman from the University of South Australia, and he spearheads the Discovery Circle Initiative. Welcome, firstly, and can you tell us a little bit about the Discovery Circle Initiative? Yeah, g'day, Adrian and Steve. Thanks for having me on the show. I'd love to talk about the Discovery Circle Initiative. I've been working on this for a few years now, and, and it's been set up to get people involved in science, and in, in, in particular to get people involved in citizen science. And that's where we have members of the community working with scientists to do some of the research. So a really good example, I suppose, is the Cat Tracker project that we're running currently. We're interested in studying the home ranges of cats, where they go and what they get up to. And uh, so we get the community involved. We want to track a large sample of cats so we can understand more about what are the factors that drive uh, their behaviour, so how far they go. Is it cats that are outside a long time or is it cats that are fed certain things or is it cats that interact with their owners in certain ways? We want to get a large sample so we can study that sort of thing. And so getting the community involved in doing some of the research is a really effective way of doing that. And we send out GPS units to the cat owners, they put them on their own cats, they send them back to us, and then we put the results online and they can see the results of where their cats have gone and that's really informative for them they can base some decisions on how they're going to care for their cats but cats are just one example there are so many different styles of citizen science projects cats is a controversial one in australia because they are i mean i love cats i think they're a beautiful animal but they're a very destructive animal in australia so how does that go do you find people are very protective my cat doesn't roam uh, how do people go when they look back at the data? Yeah, well, that's, that's why we have set up the project. Because previous research has said if you want to work with cat owners, you really need to empower them to make decisions about how they're caring for their cats. So the Cat Tracker project has been set up to do exactly that. So we're uh, allowing them to find out more information about how their um, cats are moving through the environment and then letting them make decisions about how to care for their cats. And we're finding that cat owners are responding really well to the project because it has been set up for them. So by doing that, we... We're giving them information and, and cat owners, some of them are seeing that the cats are going much further than they expected uh, and, and they're crossing more roads, they're showing more signs of being in fights and they're bringing, bringing in more native wildlife. So um, they can see that with the result of the project and then they can make decisions about how to, how to care for their cats uh, and we're finding that's a really effective way to communicate. Excellent. Um, we, would, would people shocked? Did they actually, like go well gee I might leave my cat in I mean he's obviously crossing roads yeah um, we've had exactly that reaction so um, one person asked if we're going to start a therapy group for people whose cats go further than they thought they did <laughs> we get all sorts of notes back from the cat owners and they often respond that, that when they've seen the results they have um, decided to keep the cats indoors more particularly at night because um, 88% of the cats we've tracked have had, got, had larger home ranges at night um, and it's been really successful it's a, it's a good model for engaging people but this kind of model doesn't only work for cats. You can do this, this kind of thing where you're engaging the community to do some of the work with all sorts of wildlife projects. So, um, for example, in South Australia, we've run the Great Koala Count, where we've asked people to go out and count koalas so that we can model the population and understand more what's happening to koalas in South Australia. That's a really neat example of a citizen science project. 
because the, the population is distributed across the Adelaide Hills, so there's a quite a large area that needs surveying. And having a few scientists to work on the project means that we're quite limited in how much we can do. But if we get the community involved and ask them to go out and spot koalas for us, uh, we develop a smartphone app so they can record their koala sightings. And the app's clever in that it records a photograph of the koala so we can validate that someone actually saw a koala and we can delete the photos that people send in of their foot or a koala street sign or their cat. So we can delete those ones. So we've got a validation that we've got good quality data. Uh, and it also records quite accurately the location of that koala. And so if we get two koalas in the same spot we can delete one of them we know that's the same koala being spotted twice um, and then we can use that information to start to model the koala population and when we've run that project we've done it twice now and both times we've had about 500 people go out and record 1500 koala sightings in one or two days so it's it's really effective in terms of getting information uh, about that animal species and getting the community involved to do that fantastic are, are all these projects um suburbia like where we are or is there any rural as well that, that sign up for say the cat tracker yeah so we've for the cat tracker project we've tracked cats in urban areas but also in regional areas around south australia already but we're moving now out uh, across australia so cat tracker australia was launched uh, late last year and people can volunteer their cats anywhere in australia now to be tracked uh, we're planning to track over a thousand cats but that's just one example. Uh, the Goanna Watch project that we run from the Discovery Circle is for Goanna sightings anywhere around South Australia. Um, there are th some threatened Goanna species in South Australia and the Department of Environment wants more information so that it can uh, uh, adequately manage those populations. There may need to be some intervention at some stage, creating more habitat for them in certain areas. But because there are so few of them, it's hard to know where those areas should be. And again, difficult to get scientists to go out surveying where these goannas might be because South Australia is a huge place. Mm -hmm. And so getting the community to just record opportunistic sightings is bringing that information in. And we're getting a few sightings a week now come into the uh, Goanna Watch project through the Discovery Circle website. Yeah, so a really effective way for scientists to gather information. But it is citizen science. And, and it's not just effective for the scientists, it's also really um, uh, beneficial for the community. They love to get involved in the projects. They can feel like they're making a contribution. Often they're getting outdoors uh, and experiencing nature, uh, having a good time, maybe a social event. Um, uh, we have lots of groups going out on projects like the, the Great Koala Count, people going for a group walk. But also there are um, citizen science projects you can do as an individual um, that you can do in your uh, in your home in your spare time a really good wildlife example is a project uh, that's based on the Serengeti Plains in Africa where they have some motion activated cameras set up and they take photographs automatically when an animal walks past and um, there's a number of these um, cameras set up they're trying to understand some migration patterns of animals on the Serengeti Plains they can collect a lot of data really easily with this technology but it needs to be looked at by someone to identify the animals in those, in those photographs. And so they put them online and ask the communities to look at those photographs and sort through them. A lot of them are might be activated by grass swaying or something in the camera, so it's got nothing in it. And people can flick through those quickly until they find a, a photograph of an animal and then describe what's in that photograph for the scientists. And they can get a lot of data sorted that way. Um, people can do it uh, in their home. Some people spend over 40 hours a week doing those sorts of projects. But other people can just come in for, you know, five minutes waiting for the kettle to boil 
or the the television show you want to watch to start. Maybe David Attenborough's on in five minutes, but uh, you can you got a spare five minutes. So get on to the Serengeti uh, and Africa project. It's on the Zooniverse platform, and uh, you can search for that online. Zooniverse. There's all sorts of projects there that you can do in your spare time. You're contributing to science. Uh, and you're having fun and often learning something while you're doing it too, learning about these African animals or learning about the home ranges of cats or learning about threatened goanna species in South Australia. That's the awesome thing. We can all get involved. Absolutely anyone can get involved in that stuff. Brilliant. Yeah, that's great. Um, I I love the, the bio-blitz events that you run. You talk about people getting out getting out to nature. I, I've been along to a lot of those events and I've seen families engaged. And I mean, you, you, I, I meet a lot of people that have never been camping you know, their parents have never been camping. And at these BioBits uh, Blitz events, they go along, they get to interface with experts that can show them things that they wouldn't have otherwise seen. Like, for instance, in the evenings, you do the bat tours. And most people don't realise that there's 10, 12 species of bats flying above our heads each night, eating insects, doing what they do. And, um, you know, people, people learn about birds and uh, reptiles and things that are a bit more cryptic that you don't see when you, you spend an hour or so in the bush that the experts can share so it gives, gives people a way of looking at it differently so that's what I really um, like about your approach and with the getting back to the cat tracker I love how you engage with cat people because it's often a war you often you see it explode all the time online or in conversation I mean I think people online are really brutal um, maybe in real life they wouldn't be like that way but you know the cat people versus the anti-cat people well you're just coming across impartial here's some science engaging everybody here's the data and you make your own decision i think that's fantastic i commend you yeah well we need a more informed community about these these subjects so people can uh, make their own decisions but also contribute to um you know policy decisions if the if, if or um decisions about uh, how to manage uh, local government areas for instance um councils and government like community input and these are great ways to engage people in these sorts of projects so the data from the first great koala count that uh, was was used directly towards making a government policy towards the uh, management of koalas in south australia the BioBlitz events you mentioned are a really good example of, of education about um, wildlife and, and nature generally. So these events are based in a, a local park, um, usually go for an entire day. So we start at 10 in the morning and finish at 10, 10 in the evening. And they, we have a team of scientists and naturalists uh, to come along and, and lead surveys where they do what they do best, go out and, and count plants and animals and identify them but take the public along with them and explain to them what it is what, that they do and their passion for that, for that subject. And they go for maybe 45 minutes, some surveys, or some of them are a bit longer. Um, and what I love, running the events, uh, unfortunately, because I'm running the event, I don't often get to go out on the surveys, but what I love is when the, when the groups come back, I see big smiles on the faces of the public who've been on the, on the, on the sessions, but also on the faces of the scientists because they've just had a chance to communicate what they love to a, to a rapt audience uh, in the field. So you're getting to see the, the wildlife at night time with the spotlighting or with the bat detectors, seeing that and learning that. Um, so I love to see those, those smiles on the faces of all the groups involved. And at the BioBlitz we ran in Oakland's wetlands last year, I had a, um, a couple come across to me that were at the event and explained to me they'd moved to Australia from Eastern Europe uh, just a few years beforehand. And they were really struggling to uh, educate their kids about nature here because they're nature lovers. But their experience of nature and their knowledge of nature was, was, was developed in Eastern Europe. 
and things are very different here. Uh, they said, you know, even the trees are upside down, comparing a pine tree to a mallee sort of tree. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and they said that they'd been coming along to the bioblitzes. Their kids had been doing some of the kid sessions that we run, and they'd been going on the surveys, and they'd been learning so much, but also learning how to educate their kids about the nature here. So that was, as, a, as someone leading these events, I was really excited about that. It was a really good story, that people are coming along to enjoy themselves with their family, but learning along the way, and I think that's an important thing for us to do. That's massive. I mean, there's always new Australians coming to the country and we grow up learning about cats and native plants and we hear about that kind of thing at school and not everybody gets that message and not everybody cares. So it's very difficult to teach new Australians those things. So having these BioBlitz events, super important. Um, yeah, and, and, and I suppose one of the important things about citizen science too is we always, when we're developing events or projects, we need to think about who the participants are likely to be and make sure that the events are going to be engaging and, and educational and fun for them as well. That's what really gets people to participate. A lot of the projects I've run in the past, I've done surveys afterwards and asked people, well, why did you get involved and, and what did you get out of it? And commonly people say they learnt a lot. Uh, it, you know, a lot of people say it changed their attitudes towards whatever it was that we were studying, like koalas or, um, for, for example, the great koala count when we ran that first one, uh, quite a number of people uh, revealed to us afterwards that they had learnt that the koalas were introduced to the Adelaide Hills. Uh, they hadn't realised that before getting involved in the project. Um, but people also say they get involved because it's fun. So when we're developing projects, we need to think, well, what's the science we want to do here? Uh, how are we going to engage people in that? And what's the sort of the activity going to be involved that's going to help us to develop that science? And how can we make that fun for people? I think having the um, the locations that you host the events is a massive plus. And um, just speaking about locations, where are we here today? So today we've met in Hazelwood Park, which is a, uh, a an open space in the in the city of Burnside. Lovely park, lots of gum trees, and uh, a huge diversity of bird species visit this park, uh, and also koalas. There are koalas in the trees. I may be. Oh, I'm not sure if I can see one over there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a really nice um, urban park. There's a swimming pool here. There's a, there's a public playground. Um, the playground's great because it brings lots of families in here and then the kids go running off into the trees and there's a creek nearby where they can uh, go and get some hands-on experience, get, get, their, get some dirt under their fingers and experience nature. Absolutely. So, and we've got lots of parks like this around Adelaide. It's a, it's, a, it's a great place for experiencing parks and in cities around Australia. Fantastic. Um, just down the road, you've got Linden Gardens too, across from the Burnside Shopping Centre, and that's all local Indigenous plants, which is one of my passions. Local it's, it's an amazing um, yeah, biodiversity park. It's, uh, it's well incredible. maintained, yeah. yeah. So plug for that. I mean, we're the wildlife show, but we, we try to plug habitat because that's, without that, there, there are no animals. I think you said most of the things around here look native as well. Yeah, most of these things are locally Indigenous, apart yep. from these, uh, these white people. Um, that's all right. <laughs> We're all Australians. <laughs> By the way, talking about the cat tracker, have you ever thought kid tracker? Make a, <laughs> well, <laughs> the the hard. GPS units that we use are interesting. So um, uh, for the cat tracker project, we've got uh, um, over 100 of these little GPS units that we send out to people to put on their cats. To, to And they're data loggers, so they record where they are. They don't transmit information, they just record where they are. And then when they send them back, we can plug it into our computer and, and upload the maps and have a look where that cat's been. I think, or I suspect, that these data loggers were developed for uh, people to uh, track their spouses. <laughs> spouse <laughs> so, tracker. Spouse tracker. They're called 
I Got You. That's the brand name of the... <laughs> and I've, I've had a look at a couple of online forums of people that use them to when I was trying to work out how to use them and, and, and um, uh, use the technology. And, uh, yeah, there's some interesting online forums uh, mentioning what these trackers have been used for. <laughs> the, what, what, what's I Got You. I got you. <laughs> but they, I tell you, I'm going to have that out with her when I go. <laughs> I've had one for two years now. Yeah. <laughs> they, um, but they are, you know, in terms of the technology, it's one of the things that has helped citizen science really explode in the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, so citizen science has been around for a long time, this idea of getting the community to collect data. There are some, pr- there's some great examples of long-term projects. The Audubon Society's Christmas Bird Count in the US has been running since 1900. Uh, a chap over there started it uh, because he wanted to get people to start sort of learning and thinking about the birds rather than shooting them. And in the first year, he had, I think it was around 50 people, uh, colleagues, friends, anyone he could talk to to get involved in the project in 1900. Um, typically now, it's been running for 117 years now, um, typically now they have over 70,000 people involved each year in the project, uh, going out and collecting data about birds across North America. Absolutely incredible data set of that where where scientists can look into that and study bird distributions and how they're changing bird migration all sorts of information in there and uh, hundreds of scientific publications have accessed that data to, to use to, to oh, yeah. un- further our understanding about birds. Oh, that's fantastic. But, I mean, one scientist can't do that alone. No, exactly. Such a long-term project. Really hard to keep projects going for that long. Um, but a, and a huge benefit to the scientific community, but also the people that are going out on, on those um, uh, bird surveys are taking inexperienced birders with them and teaching them how to... How, so there's a lot of education involved, a lot of engagement, and people really enjoy their participation in it. So that's a great example of where citizen science can go. But the technology is really making it boom. So now having apps where we, that we can use to record location and um, take photographs so we can validate things uh, is really important. And there are a lot of citizen science projects that use, uh, citizen science projects that use apps. Um, having websites that can that get information out to a lot of people and can be used for entering information or visualising data um, is really engaging. So showing people the, the maps instantly. If you submit a koala sighting and then you can go to the website and see your koala sighting straight away, that's really great. Mm. So this technology is meaning that citizen science is really booming. Um, there are now things we can plug into phones too, like air quality sensors that, that measure particulate matter and all sorts of things. So... There are a whole lot of air quality citizen science projects now around the world, or noise pollution, or light pollution, something that affects wildlife. Um, There are a number of, there's a great project called Globe at Night that you can participate in where you go onto their website, give it your location, and it will show you a map of the night sky where you are, and it will give you, I think it's about seven different scenarios based on the light pollution. So the first one, it's the same direction of the night sky. But the first image has um, what it would look like if there was no light pollution. So it's a really, you see a lot of stars. And the last image is what it would look like if there's really heavy pollution. And you might see only one or two of the brightest stars. And then there's the sort of gradations in between. And the idea is that you take that outside where you are and you um, compare the actual night sky to these different photographs and say which one it is. And that gives the scientists running the project an idea of the light pollution at your site, which they're comparing around the world to get a really good understanding of of how light pollution um, affects different areas of the world. And in in Adelaide, we're really lucky. We've got one of the um, latest dark sky parks close to town in Cambrai. It's uh, near Murray Bridge. 
It's one of the closest um, dark sky parks to a, a major city anywhere in the world. Um, so dark sky is really important for wildlife. It uh, and the and the, the the light the cycle of light and dark affects how when things breed, when things feed, all those sorts of things. Uh, so it's an important consideration, and we've got great dark sky nearby here. Um, so good to get people involved in understanding that. And the and the globe at night project is a way to get people thinking about it. Never, never thought about that at all. Very interesting. Yeah. I've heard you comment to me, Steve, coming to Australia, how you, you can see the stars and you know how awesome uh, that is. Yeah, it, it is amazing like that, and, and it is amazing with the projects that you guys are doing. And like for the first five years, I've been here eight years. First five years, I didn't know that you could go out and do all these things. Yeah, and I came here for the nature. Like yeah. I sort of made my own way, but to actually join on with people now and, and meeting Adrian and, and people and, and getting out more, you know, we're now really realising why we came to Australia. Fantastic. Loving it, yeah, for that. And getting involved, it's just awesome. When I started working in citizen science about 10 or 15 years ago, there were a handful of projects, I suppose, in Australia and a, and a number of projects around the world. Um, but I, knew, I think I knew a lot of them. But now, because it's taken off so much, I, I have no chance of sort of keeping track of all the different projects there's there's projects for tracking the, the phenological cycle of plants and animals there's projects for um, classifying galaxies there's projects where you can get online and and play with protein structures to help biomedical researchers come up with new cures for diseases and develop new biofuels uh, a great project called fold it there's a project called eyewire where you can help neuroscientists map the um, the brain, uh, something that they have calculated will take them hundreds of years to do by themselves, so they've developed a way that the public can help them do that online um, with, with images they scan from brains and getting the public to um, uh, analyse the images and, and, and indicate where the, where the paths are in the brain. There are projects that are getting people outdoors to look at you know, light pollution or water pollution or air pollution or um, to, to record local wildlife species, either opportunistic stuff, so just while you happen to be out, if you see a goanna, please take a photograph and send it to us type of thing, or more organised things where we say, well, on this day, please go searching for koalas and, and report what you find. And there's so many different ways to get involved in citizen science now, and the, um, there's a couple of project finders, so um, you can go online. Um, one's called SciStarter, the American uh, project finder, or in Australia, we've got a uh, the Australian Citizen Science Association has partnered with CSIRO to put together a, a project finder as well. So you can find that through the Australian Citizen Science Association. And you can go to these project finders and say, well, this is my interest. I'm interested in astronomy or I'm interested in um, agronomy or I'm interested in uh, wildlife or I'm interested in um, town planning. Uh, what, what, are we, what are you interested in? Where do you live? And it will then list the projects that you might be interested in participating in so you can find projects close to you that are either local projects uh, that are run by someone that lives nearby or works nearby or they could be national projects that are, that are studying something around the country or they could be international projects that, that you can participate in anywhere so get on board that's fantastic and you're helping the scientists do their job and you might be responsible for discovering something new you might there's a great story from, uh, from the Netherlands, actually, of a school teacher called Hanny. And Hanny uh, wasn't into citizen science, but she's really into the band Queen. <laughs> and Brian May... Never heard of him. 
Brian May. <laughs> they're, a, they're a small English band. Small. You might not have heard of them. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Brian May is the uh, lead guitarist in Queen, but in his spare time did a PhD in astrophysics. So he's actually Dr. Brian May. And he is a great supporter of a project called Galaxy Zoo, where you can go online and help astronomers to classify galaxies. So they get... Uh, a lot of f- photographs taken automatically through um, uh, telescopes on the planet and they don't have time to look at them all. So they developed a system for the public to go on and it's very clever. They have a number of people classified the same galaxy and if they all say the same thing, they can have a really, the astronomers can have a really high level in, of confidence in what that, what that galaxy, galaxy is being classified as. So is it a, a right spiralling galaxy or a left spiralling galaxy or an elliptical galaxy? Um, that sort of thing. And they've, they've classified over uh, 100 million galaxies and they've had over a million people involved in this project around the world. It's an amazing project. And there's been some great scientific findings come out of this project. They're publishing them in, in scientific academic papers. And Hanny, who knew nothing about this project, or um, was a school teacher in Holland, loves Queen. Brian May put it on social media. Galaxy Zoo's great. So Hanny sees that. She thinks, well, if it's good enough for Brian May, I'll have a look. So she gets online and she starts uh, classifying the galaxies, right spiralling galaxy, left spiralling galaxy. And then she sees one that doesn't really fit the classifications. And so she clicks the, the, I've got no idea what this is, button. And um, so that flags to the astronomers that they should probably have a look at that one. And and some astronomers had a look at that one and and realised that they also had no idea what it was. They'd discovered a new astronomical object and they named it after Hanny. So it's now called Hanny's Vortweeb. A Vortweeb. Hanny's Vortweeb. That's great. And a Vortweeb is an object in Dutch, so it's Hanny's object. So it's been named after this citizen scientist, Queen fan who discovered this new astronomical object. So the moral of the story is that you should get involved in citizen science and you too might have a Vortweeb named after you. (laughs) I love it, love it. She deserved it. She deserved it. Great work, Annie. Well earned. Now, the Discovery Circle, they have a website. That's right, yeah. So uh, discoverycircle.org.au is where you'll find us. Or if you're interested in some of the projects, if you search for Cat Tracker or Goanna Watch, I'm sure you'll find the Discovery Circle website. And for people that are into social media... Yeah, the Discovery Circle on Facebook, or they can look for me on Twitter, Philip Roatman. And do you have any projects coming up that you can tell us about? Yeah, so we've got a, we, we, we currently, we've just kicked off the Cat Tracker Australia project. We're planning a few other projects. I'd love to do an air quality project as well. We're planning a few other projects, uh, uh, particularly some projects that can get people involved in nature in Adelaide. Um, but it's a bit too early to be talking about those yet, Adrian. Oh, I'm right. excited about that. Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely. Oh, like that. Stay tuned. We have a, a newsletter that goes out once every one or two months to keep people up to date with what we're doing. So if you go to the Discovery Circle website and click on the newsletter link, you can sign up for that. We don't bombard people. A lot of people like that. Just every month or two, we have an update of all the projects and, and what you can get involved in. Now, I'm a bit of a science nerd and I love all the presenters that um, come to your events. It'd be great. I mean, you talk about how Annie got involved in the um, Galaxy um, Galaxy Zoo, Galaxy Zoo through Brian May. I'd love, I'd love to see some some high profile, you know, like sports people or uh, Olympians or somebody like that that loves local native plants or loves an element of conservation or science, and to get in a whole range of other people. I mean, like 
um, that we often talk about. I mean, that's why we do this podcast. Hopefully somebody listening, you know, sick of morning radio, wants to listen to some people talk about something a bit different, maybe learn something, maybe have a bit of fun. Um, that'd, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Just putting that out there. I agree. And one of the biggest barriers to citizen science so far has been that people just haven't heard of it yet. And so any way we can spread the word, when, once people do hear about it, uh, they're often willing to give it a go. And now that we have such a range of projects... I think that there's, just, that there's a citizen science project out there that's suitable for just about everyone. Uh, so many different styles of participation. You can do it outdoors, you can do it indoors, you can do it individually, you can do it as a group, you can do it online, you can do it in your garden. There's so many different ways people can participate, so many different styles, and people feel great when they make a contribution. So I agree, we need to get the word out there, and getting some high-profile champions for citizen science would be a great thing. So if you're out there, if you're listening to the podcast, please get in contact. Let's 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 do some citizen let's, science let's, together. Let's get into it. Let's One of it. our millions of listeners would... Would take oh, that up, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure. Fantastic. I'm sure. Um, mate, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I mean, that was I really enjoyed that. The fantastic. You? Thank you. Yeah, look, the, the website's an easy way to contact us. If you're not great on the web, there's still Citizen Science for you. You can give us a call. The Discovery Circle is 8302-9999 in Adelaide. That's 8302-9999. Thanks, Thanks for having me on the show. Mate, thank, thank you, you for you. coming. That was amazing. Thank awesome. you. Yeah, Loved it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.